it's really appropriate they start out with that pie video since I am a baker. <laughs> nice to be back with you again today. Boy, this is, it's been a long time, a long time, so it's really, uh, really good to be here and to be able to worship uh, in person with you again. Uh, folks have been asking how Sally and I are getting along. We're doing, we're doing well, uh, trying to be careful and safe. Um, so I, I do appreciate your willingness to wear masks this morning. That's uh, that's a really good step. I actually have trouble with uh, with masks. I, some of you have probably noticed and admired uh, the fact that I have um, masculine ears. And when you have ears that are as muscular as mine, uh, sometimes the mask has to just get pulled so tight back. So I, I was having trouble with that. But my wife, you know, Sally's quite a seamstress, crafty person. She started making masks for me using bungee cords, so that it's working out a lot better. We're feeling feel a little safer now that we're doing that. You know, we're in a in an important, I think an important teaching series currently, which really is dealing with uh, a really basic question, which is uh, how much do I owe God? I've got a, a great guy who's done my taxes, prepared my taxes for me for probably 35, 40 years, maybe a long time, and uh, a super Christian man, great integrity, honesty, as well as uh, skill and knowledge, and every year he reminds me, he says, Ed, I'm going to make sure that you pay the government every dollar you owe them, and not a dollar more. Seems to me that's kind of the attitude that we take into our relationship with God as well. We might be slow to admit it, but I think it's kind of there underneath a lot of other thoughts. Tell me what I owe God and I will give him everything that I owe him. But the rest, I mean, that's kind of mine, isn't it? You know, I mean, all right, how much money, how much money do I owe God? Uh, so churches traditionally said 10, 10%. Okay. 10%, if that's it, um, gross or net, I'm going to pay that, and then the rest of the money um, I can kind of use for myself, right? Time, how much of my time do I owe God? Well, um, okay, so I know I'm supposed to worship um, on Sunday morning, so there's an hour, maybe some days two hours even for worship. Oh, and I do the, uh, the daily scriptures, um, that's like 10 minutes every day, which adds up, and some of you really spiritual people probably spend some other time with God, reading the Bible, praying, it all adds up. So there's all that time that I'm giving to God. Does that mean then that the, the rest of the time is, is mine and I can kind of do with it what I please, what I decide, how I decide to use it? That's a pretty basic question that I think we need to answer about a lot of things in our life, our money, our time, our influence. So how much do, do I owe God? And the answer is, you owe God everything. You owe God everything. The Bible says that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. I, I believe that to the core of my being, that there is nothing you have that did not come from God. He is the one who gives you everything that you have. And so I would guess you're out there 
at home or, or sitting here and you're kind of nodding her, yes, that's right, I owe God everything. But the reality is we feel like, well, I mean, I, I worked hard to get what I have. I have been, been diligent and, and careful. I, I've earned what I have. Isn't, it, isn't at least some of it mine? And the answer is, you were able to work hard because God gave you a strong, healthy body. God gave you the opportunities to, to earn the money that you've earned. But, um, but I went to school. I studied hard. I got a master's degree, right? I mean, God says, but what if your IQ was 20 points lower? You know, how many diplomas would you have on your wall then? Everything we have, we owe to God. I, I, I appreciate so much the line in the song that we sing often, and I think maybe we're going to sing it today as well. It says, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. I mean, do you understand what that's saying? You would not even be able to praise God if God didn't give you the breath in your lungs, the life to be able to, pray, to praise him, if God hadn't loved you first, if God hadn't wooed you and called you, you wouldn't even be able to give him praise. I, I really appreciate a picture, a painting. It's called Forgiven. I think maybe we're going to have it here so you can see it. And, and what this picture says to me is this. It's like, it's like this guy being held up by Jesus is the Roman soldier. The Roman soldier who threw Jesus down on the ground and stretched out his arm on that cross beam from the cross and picked up the mallet and the metal spike to drive it through the tender flesh of Jesus' wrist. And as he held the Son of God on the ground and nailed him to the cross, who gave him the strength to pick up that mallet? Who gave him the eyesight to be able to see that spike? Who gave him the energy to pound it again and again and again? Who did that? Jesus gave him the strength even to kill him. And when the mob stood outside of, of Pilate's palace and yelled, crucify him, crucify him, who gave them the breath, the life? God did. Reminds me a little bit of like when, you're, when your kids are little, you know, and they want to buy you something for your birthday, say, and you have to give them the money so that they can buy something for you. That's, that's the reality of what our relationship with God is like. God gives us everything so that we can even give back to him. How much do you owe God? You owe God everything. So then the question is, if that's true, and we're thinking particularly about our time today, you know, if it's not just a slice of the pie that I owe God, if it's the whole pie, realistically, how do I live that out? How do I go about my life you know, with an awareness, you know, that everything that I owe, everything that I have, I owe to God. We're going to look at a passage of scripture today, 
Um, it's from a letter that Paul wrote to some of the first century Christians uh, who lived in Ephesus. And in this paragraph, um, Paul gives some pretty specific and important instructions for us about how we are to use our time. So if you're at home and you got a Bible there, or if you brought one with you today, we'll have it on the screen here as well. This is Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, we're going to look at verses 15 through 21. Here's what it says. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul begins by saying, you know, be careful about how you live. Give some thought to it. Some, sometimes uh, some translations will actually have this as be careful how you walk. I know when I was growing up that frequently in, in the translations that we had in those days, when it was talking about how you live, it would use the expression walk. You know, because how you walk through life is the way you're living your life. And I, I used to sort of wonder, you know, in the Bible, be careful how you walk. I just had this picture, you know, that we had to be careful watching every step on how we walk. Paul is saying, though, a really basic truth. Be careful how you live. Think about how you live. It's so interesting to me that, that some people... Uh, are very meticulous in keeping records and keeping track of how they spend their money down to the last dollar. They know where their money goes. They keep track of it all. I, I admire people like that who are, you know, those good record keepers. I had a friend in, in college who, when he would um, buy a new suit or sport coat, would put a, a note card in the pocket, and every time he wore the coat, he would check it off so that when he was done with it, he would know how much it cost him each time he wore it. You know? That kind of mentality, I have great respect for it. But what surprises me is that we can be so careful like that in some areas of our lives, like our finances, and totally the opposite in how we spend our time. And I'm probably as guilty of this as anybody. In fact, even more so now that I'm retired. I mean, people will say, uh, so what's your, what, do you, what do you got planned for today? Well, going to do stuff. You know. So how was your day? What would you do? Oh, did stuff. You know. Are you careful about how you live your life? Paul says... You know, that is such an important question that we need to be thinking about, thinking about how we live our lives. Be careful about it. Now, Paul in verse 16 gives us uh, a, a reason for that. He says, because the days are evil. You need to be careful about how you live your life because we're living in evil times. I suppose if we lived in a perfect world or even a close to perfect world, that wouldn't be such an issue. Paul says... You need to think about how you are living your life, how you are spending your time, because you live in an evil world. 
As I was thinking about this, I was realizing that when Paul wrote this to the Ephesians back in the first century, already Christians were being um, persecuted and opposed by the Jews who considered Christianity blasphemy, by the Romans who thought it was seditious. You know? So those were evil times in which Paul was living and in which he was writing. And I would suppose for the last 2,000 years, as Christians have read this, they thought, yep, we're living in evil times. So I don't know that necessarily our times are any more evil than some other times in history have been, but I, I would say this is so true for us today. We live in an evil world. We live in a world that is permeated by evil. And I, I can't think of times when when evil behavior that God calls blasphemous and an abomination has been more celebrated and legalized and emulated than it is today. And it just seeps into every area of our culture. And if we're not thinking about being careful about how we live, how we walk, it's going to creep in, sink into our lives as well. So Paul is saying, so, so you got to think about, about how you spend your time, how you live your life, because we're, we're in evil times, and you're going to be battling against that evil all the time. So Paul says then, verse 16, so make the most of every opportunity. So if I'm thinking about how I'm living my life, if I realize that these are evil times, then when opportunities come, I need to take advantage of them. There is nothing sadder than someone saying, oh, if only I had done this when I had the chance. If only I would have done this differently. Paul says you need to be ready to take advantage of opportunities when they come. Because there's something about opportunities. They come and they go. And they slip through our fingers so easily. I've been reminded of this uh, lately because of something I did a long time ago. In fact, it was on uh, November 16th, 1984, my parents had come to Cedar Falls uh, to help me celebrate my 40th birthday, which had been the day before. So I sat my mom and dad down at our kitchen table, and I got out an old cassette tape recorder, which was very high-tech at the time, and this cruddy little microphone, and I interviewed my parents. And I asked them all about what it was like when they were kids and about their parents and what they remembered about their grandparents. And we sat there at the table for an hour and, and they just told me so many things that I didn't know. You know. And specifically, it became important to me because that was the last time I was with my mother. She died shortly thereafter. And of course, now my dad has been dead for 25 years. That was an opportunity that I had that slipped away so quickly after that. And in the years since, I thought, well, I wish I had asked them this, or I wish I had asked them that. I'm just glad I did it when I had the chance. And so now I've got this, this CD of this interview with my folks that I can give to my granddaughters, and they will actually hear then their great-grandparents talking about their grandparents. You know? And I hope at some point that will be significant to them. I'm glad I did it because now the opportunity is gone. I can't ask those questions anymore until I get with them again in heaven. Opportunities come and then they're gone. And you don't want to live your life with regret because you didn't take advantage of the opportunities. 
So Paul says, think about how you're living because we're living in evil times. And when opportunities come for the good, take advantage of those opportunities. Now Paul goes on to give three contrasts of not this, but this, to help us understand in practical terms how we're supposed to be living out our lives each day. So we're going to take a look at those. So in verse 16, he says, so making the most of, um, excuse me, be careful how you live then, not as unwise, but as wise. Not unwise, but as wise. When you're thinking about how you're going to live your life, how you're going to use your time, Paul says do it in a wise way. The Bible is pretty clear about what it means by wisdom. And wisdom means living life in a relationship with God. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we live our lives in relationship with God... That's the wise way to live. And to live as if you're not accountable to God or as if there is no God or as if there's never going to be a judgment day or as if you're going to live forever is not wise. It's unwise. One of the things that I've noticed um, as during these weeks as we've been watching, Sally and I have been watching these services f- from home, uh, realize that... Uh, it, you get the feeling almost that you have this time with God and then you can kind of shut it off and then God is sort of out of the picture from that point on. So we'll watch the service on television or on our computer and then switch it off and it's like now God is, God is gone. Right? But the reality is that God is watching us, is with us all the time. You know, that little song that we used to sing when we were little kids. I don't know if kids still sing that anymore. You know, oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Because the Father up above is looking down with love, which is the phrase I used to forget. So be careful, little hands, what you do. You know, my whole life, that, that idea has stayed with me. That God is aware of everything I do. And it matters what I do for that reason, because God is watching. God knows what I do. And the Bible says, you know, there's nothing that's whispered that's not going to be shouted from the housetops. Nothing that's done in secret that's not going to become public. Nothing that, that you do that you think God doesn't know about because he does. God judges our actions. And one of the things that we want to do if we're living in a wise way is to honor and to please God through our actions. Every one of us someday will stand before God. And Paul says it's the wise person who's going to live his life, you know, in the fear of the Lord. Now, let's go on to the, the next phrase that he uses here, which is in verse 17. And he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So we can live our lives as fools, which would be an unwise thing to do. But Paul says, if you're not going to be foolish, what you need to understand is, what is God's will for your life? And I think for much of my life, I misunderstood that idea. I had the feeling like God's will was obviously that I read the Bible, that I pray, that I do spiritual things. 
And I think I failed in some ways as, as a parent, as a father, even as a friend in some cases, because I sort of hyper-spiritualized that. Well, obviously God's will is going to be that, I do, that I'm doing spiritual things, right? Just doing spiritual things. But God's will isn't just that you read the Bible and pray and, or that you become a missionary. God's will is that you thrive in your life, that you find joy in serving, and uh, that God's will covers a much broader expanse of life than I was giving it credit for. There's a, um, a young man that I meet with, I'd say a young man. Today is actually my 76th birthday. Hold your applause. And, and so everybody is young to me at this point in my life. So I have this man that I meet with every week, and we study the Bible together. And, and two weeks ago, you remember, I called him up the night before, and I said, tomorrow it's going to be 72 degrees. How about instead of studying the Bible, we play tennis? <gasps> Seriously? You think that's the will of God, that you neglect studying the Bible to play tennis? I am totally convinced that's what God wanted us to do that day, you know? that God's will is that we find joy in life, that we be healthy. God used that to, to teach me humility that day. It, it's a broader picture than I think I ever understood. So to be asking ourselves, if we're not going to be foolish in how we live our lives, we're going to be continually asking ourselves, how then do I live my life in keeping with God's will? Don't be foolish, but understand what God's will is. And then Paul gives a third contrast, and it's, um, it's in verse 18. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. There's the contrast. Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So let's see if we can kind of follow Paul's thinking here. He's saying you need to be thinking about how you spend your time how you walk through life so you do it in a wise way that follows God's will and God's plan for your life. And now he brings in drinking. What's that have to do with it? Remember that the Bible does not say that drinking wine is wrong. In fact, it um, kind of exalts at several places. But what is condemned always in Scripture is drunkenness. What's the problem with drunkenness? Paul says it leads to debauchery. When, when a person becomes drunk, they lose control, right? They lose their inhibitions. They lose their sense of right and wrong. They do things that they, that they regret. It leads to debauchery. Paul says that's going to be the opposite of this wise person who's trying to understand God's will and live according to it. And he says the contrast to that would be being filled with the Spirit, not drunk with wine, which leads to a loss of, of control, of self-control, but being filled with the Spirit, which allows God's Spirit to control us. Now, we need to talk about this for just a minute, and sometime we maybe need to spend a lot more time talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. Basically, it is, it's this, though, that we need to understand, that when you become a follower of Jesus... When you give your life to him, confess your sins, ask for his forgiveness, God sends his Holy Spirit to come into you. That's called, often it's called in, in scripture, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that started at Pentecost in the New Testament. This, uh, I was with another guy, we were studying the Bible together, and we were reading about 
Saul in the Old Testament, King Saul, and it talked about an event where it says the Spirit of God rushed upon him. So before Pentecost, the Spirit of God would come upon a person to accomplish something for God, and then it would leave again. But since Pentecost, when a person becomes a Christian, they're baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell them, and that does not change. We don't lose the Holy Spirit, but we can dim the flame of the Holy Spirit in us. We can sort of lose his power and effectiveness. And so what the Bible talks about as the process in the Christian life is being filled with the Holy Spirit. When we sin, when we disobey God, when we ignore his will, the effectiveness of the Holy Spirit in us just sinks down and down and down. And one of the things that we need to do regularly is as we confess our sin, as we recognize that we have broken God's law, that we have offended the God who loves us so much, we not only need to ask for his forgiveness, but I think we need also to ask the Holy Spirit to refill us with himself and with his power. That's what God wants to do for us. And so Paul is saying, don't get in that kind of state where you're losing control, but allow the Holy Spirit in you to work to bring about his will. And so then he gives some examples of what it's going to be like when you're living a spirit-filled life. And, uh, and he gives four of them. He says, uh, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So when you're filled with the Spirit of God, praise and worship to God is a natural part of what your life would be like. Now, I've heard some of you sing. I'm not sure God wants you to sing to him. <laughs> I remember my mother was a hummer. She was always humming as she was doing things at home. And what she was humming were hymns. And that impressed me that that part of her relationship with God was always just kind of there in her mind. Singing and, and praising God can be a part of our relationship with God. Just an attitude of appreciation to God and wanting to praise and worship him. The second thing it says is to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That's encouragement. We need then not only to have that joy in ourselves, but to be able to share it with others, to encourage them. That's part of the role of the Holy Spirit through us. Third thing, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's gratitude. There's nothing that is a stronger mark of God in our lives than gratitude. When the Holy Spirit is in us, we realize that what we have comes from God, and we are grateful for it. And then finally, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, which is humility. It's trying to live like Jesus, who the Bible says, you know, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as I have uh, been thinking about this teaching for the last few weeks and realize that at this point in my life as a retired person, it, it's, it's become really important that I be more intentional about how I spend my time, how I walk through life. And you may be at a very different place in your life right now. But for all of us, I think, God is calling us to live our lives in a way that's going to honor and to glorify him. Uh, let's, let's pray together as we ask for God's help in this process. Lord God, you have given us life, and we thank you for that. But Time is one of those resources that is limited and irreplaceable and is too soon gone. And I think as we've gone through this 
terrible pandemic, we've recognized that life, earthly life can come to an end for anybody at any time, at any moment. And we need to be careful about how we use and spend our lives. Help us to, to want to live, to walk as disciples in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.